Hello, everyone. This is Zarina, host of the Grow and Learn podcast. I have a wonderful guest uh, here for the podcast for this episode today. He's been with us a few times, not for a while, but in the meantime, he's done amazing work. And we're coming right on time for the launch of his new book. And the book is called The Better Way to Win, Winning During a Time of Crisis. I'm welcoming Mike Amato. Hi, Mike. Thank you, Zarina. Nice to see you again. Nice to have you back again. Let me give you a, a very brief introduction of your background. So for anybody else who hasn't, um, who doesn't know about you or hasn't heard your previous uh, episodes on the podcast. So Mike, uh, you were chief uh, in sales in Barclays and in uh, Santander in London and uh, in the US. Uh, you were on the board of another digital bank and uh, you led a few companies through uh, transformation, transforming their cultures. Um, and so you wrote a book of how to deal with these times of transformation by focusing on culture. Um, I am only supposing that it's revolving around culture, but as you told me in our talk uh, before we started recording, you've had so many questions and delved into so many aspects of your previous works. I'm really curious of what went into the book and uh, what is it really about? Okay, well, thank you. Thank you, Zarina, for that introduction. It's always nice to be here with you. Um, I really support your work and it's been fun to work with you and know you and watch you evolve over the years. So um, thank you again for having me on the on your podcast. Um, so, so as you said, the book is called The Better Way to Win and it's about leading in a time of crisis. So it uses my experiences at, when I was at Barclays, I was the head of um, global product and distribution. So all the branches and all the products from mortgages to investments and current accounts um, in every channel from, from telephony, uh, digital, and then branch channels um, throughout the Barclays global footprint. So when I first had taken, uh, taken on that role at Barclays, um, we, had a, we had a pretty major crisis. And the experience of recovering from the crisis is the backdrop of this book, talking about what happened, why it happened, and how we turned uh, an underperforming bank, um, to say the least, to, um, to, to uh, the top highest performing bank in the world. So what happened and how did that go? Well, that's, that's kind of the backdrop, but the lessons learned apply, and it's why I call it leading in a time of crisis as the subtitle, because the lessons that we learned apply to any organization in crisis. A lot of times when you say a book is about culture, people yawn and say, oh, yeah, we know about culture. And then they tune out. Well, it, it's not it's not just about culture. It, it is, but it's not. What I mean by that is that right now with the post pandemic, almost every organization's in crisis. Um, going back to work, going back to the office, leaders are finding out that um, um, the power equation has shifted. They're finding out that workers don't want to go back to the office. They don't want to spend an hour commuting each way. They want to work at home. They like working at home. Now, some people do want to get in there. So there's kind of a conflict. And so leaders are seeing that the old ways of managing just simply don't work today for the generations that we're now trying to lead. And then also the post pandemic world. So using this story as a backdrop is a great way to talk about leadership styles, the ecosystem that leaders are responsible for creating at work and how to uh, be more relevant in today, because you could argue, as I mentioned, almost every company is in a time of crisis right now, trying to figure out how to how to work going forward. So that's mm -hmm. a little bit about what the book is about. 
Well, well, I, I, I think I did a disservice uh, announcing that you actually launched the book today. Today is the launch of the book and of the website. And the website carries the title of the book. It's called thebetterwaytowin.com. Right. Leading in time of crisis is the, yeah, the slogan. Um, yesterday, I had a talk with somebody who was a part of the first wave of the great resignation and uh, of the great resignation of the pandemic. And so we talked about the, the, the fact that 90% of, she's, she's doing some research on resignation, especially with women. She said 90% of women are ready to leave their jobs in the coming five years. And that's yet another um, crisis that we can put on top of people not wanting to come back to work. So it's just adding on to the challenges that leaders have these days. Um, and so how do you approach in the book these challenges? I know it's, it's a whole book that you have to talk about, but what are, what are some of the, of the key takeaways of the book to approach such challenges? Yes, and, I, and I, by the way, I love the question because I, I could give a book review, but while that's interesting, I'm not sure it's, it, 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 there's a broader point in that the message in the book can be applied um, um, in, in many ways. So, so I actually appreciate the question, Zarina. Um, so, so when you talk about 90% of women are looking at changing jobs or leaving work for, you know, within five years, I, I give you another data point, just kind of think about something. During the pandemic, Microsoft was interviewed, they asked the executives, what did you think about um, the company's response during the pandemic? And the executives said, oh, we've really come together. I'm so proud of our team. We've thrived during this pandemic, not just survived, we thrived. Well, then this, they, they got a consultant to do an employee engagement survey. What they found was that 41% of the workers at, at Microsoft said that they felt overworked and overwhelmed. And 39% said they were actively looking for a job somewhere else. So now think about that. Leadership said, oh, we've thrived. Workers in numbers. Now, when you think about what would your, what would your um, uh, percentage of regretted uh, turnover, regretted uh, attrition of the workforce, of your top players, you would want it to be zero to 5%. Of all the entire organization, you'd want it to be, you certainly want it to be less than 10 to 12% turnover. Here's 39% of the people at Microsoft saying that, that, they're, that they're actively looking for another job. This is a crisis and leadership in talking about thriving is disconnected from the reality of the workers. So when you describe the challenges people are facing, 90% of the women looking for new roles, what they're saying is the great resignation is that my leadership has not given me something to care about. I don't, I don't feel connected to the purpose. Um, we talk about um, in, in the boardroom, I was on the board, as you mentioned, on Santander and then Tandem Bank and Digital Bank. We always talked about diversity and inclusion and how do we create a culture of diversity and inclusion and lots and lots of words. But the reality is those things where you have a diverse workforce and inclusive environment are all embedded in the ecosystem that we create. And the ecosystem we create needs to, a good leader needs to um, um, appeal to the heart and soul of the, of the workers and give them something to care about. People don't want to follow leaders now. They want to follow the purpose. So when you hear this, women are saying, in this particular example you gave, what they're saying is that 
I don't have, I, the company doesn't make me feel any attachment to what they're doing. So I'll look elsewhere. So this is the call to leaders. And this is a call to people who are not happy at their work anymore. Mm -hmm. It's the worker, the, the power equation, equation has shifted. Workers now have the chance to go work wherever they want because they can work remotely. So talent is no longer an entitlement of leadership and leadership needs to change so they can create a culture where people feel engaged with the purpose, not with leaders' um, um, uh, conversations around virtue signaling about what they care about, diversity and inclusion, when in reality, they haven't really done much about it for the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, there was a very reputable uh, magazine that came up with a study about the great resignation and they gave us a top three reason, if not the number one reason, uh, was actually the lack of meaning. So people are suddenly starting to awake, mm -hmm. awaken and they realize my life is now precious, important. I want to give meaning to my life. And that's what you're saying. You know, purpose and meaning are very interchangeable in the, especially in a work-related setting. Exactly. All right. So, okay. So what, what are some of the new things that you've been, new issues that you've been uh, dealing with in the past year since you've been consulting some large clients that you just took on? Is there anything new apart from um, your previous observations on the previous financial crisis that you went through and you uh, led a cultural transformation? Is there anything new that you're observing now that leaders are facing Yes, um, and, and thank you. I wanted to continue with the question because, you know, uh, I, I am doing mentoring to executives um, in in um, Austria, um, the United Kingdom, um, United States, New York, and 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 in Seattle. So 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 various people around the world. And and where it is is less important than what's happening. Mm -hmm. And 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 what's really interesting is is that um, uh, what what we're seeing is that is that. Um, um, there, there, there's an old saying that culture is to, um, um, as, as customers are to products, culture is to employees. So, mm -hmm. so what that means is that you can no longer, what we're seeing is that, is that the, the leaders in the companies no longer have a, have a um, the, they're no longer entitled to say that workers should listen to them and, 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 and do what they say just because they've got the, the position or the title. Now, now how that manifests itself and what does that mean is that when I'm coaching the leaders that I, that I work with to understand that they themselves have to, um, under, they, they have to um, ensure that they um, say what they mean and, and, and mean what they say, they can no longer make these broad phrases like employees are our greatest resource when in fact they spend 90% of their time talking about cost cuts and what's the greatest expense are people. So they spend a lot of time, you know, reducing the workforce. Meanwhile, in front of the workers, they say, Hey, you know, um, employees are our greatest resource. So, so comments like that don't help them get connected. So the idea is um, what's missing is that connection. And so I'm, I'm, I'm mentoring leaders on creating that connection. And what I call that connection is an employee value proposition. Mm -hmm. So, with customers, we create products and the products create a value proposition. And there's different ways to do it with branding or it's a luxury product or it's a commodity like a, like a pen or pencil and, and, and price is the key determinant. What leaders are facing today is that with the great resignation, price has become the only answer they have to people leaving. So they're 
uh, raising their costs. They're paying signing bonuses to other other employees um, um, to, to get them to pardon me, not other employees, but to, to 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 employees that they're recruiting, and they're reduced to to making employment a value proposition based on price. That means the company's thinking of the talent as a commodity. Well, so how do they stop this madness? And, and how can they how can they create an employee value proposition that says we need to think about this? And, and, and look at a product for the employees. Why should they work here? And these are questions that a lot of times leaders don't ask. Leaders don't ask, am I relevant? Do I matter? I, I, I talked to a group of leaders one time, said, are you guys relevant? They didn't know how to, what do you mean if they're relevant? Yes, I'm the head of blah, blah, blah. But are you mm -hmm. relevant? I, of course I'm relevant. I, I, I have this responsibility. Are you relevant? Do you matter to the people that you work with? Well, yeah, because because I can fire them. Wow. That is not a very good employee value proposition. So we want to redefine this relevance. We want to create an employee value proposition that says, what's in it for the employee? What is the product we're offering them as a company? Why should they work here? And one of the answers has to be relevant leadership. Another has to be a purpose that's worthy. And mm -hmm. third is you're going to make them feel a certain way, make them feel attached to the organization, make them feel something. Now it's about appealing to heart not just the minds of, of, of the workers. So, so those are some of the things that people are seeing and that's the way we're talk, starting to talk about it, which is looking at employees as if they were customers and creating a value proposition that helps provide what they wanna get from work, not what the company needs from them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now I am thinking of the next upcoming crisis that is uh, already looming everywhere with high inflation and shortages in, in supply chain. So that's putting yet another pressure on, on the company. So my question is now, do you think that leaders are going to be able to really take the focus that maybe that, uh, for, for a minute period of time, they had the chance to put onto their employees, but now they're distracted again to the next looming crisis. So it's a constant loop of urgencies, urgencies. Uh, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love it. You, you, you are such a good interviewer, and I, and I love where your mind goes on this. So this is one of the central themes that I talk about in the book, is that the idea is that crisis, it takes a crisis for leadership to change. And the question is, just like with us with our health, right? If you catch a, a disease or an illness, that's when you say, gosh, I need to change my diet or I need to stop smoking or I better watch other things in my lifestyle. That's when we need to react. Well, what's happening, what's leading in this time of crisis is that it's a wonderful opportunity, not, not a terrible opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity to change because you have nothing to lose. If leaders act in the same ways that they've acted and look at the upcoming crisis as a way that we need to get, we need to somehow appeal to shareholders by driving costs down, trying to sac get, get any sort of revenue that we can get. And, and we've got to make sure that we don't slip or miss a beat in terms of our earnings. That's wrong. I'll tell you that, Mike, how can that be wrong? What do you mean we can't worry about earnings at a time when we've got, we've got all these pressures? No, earnings and the financial results are actually the output. We should have done a, a long time ago where we look at the input being things like um, what, what's, what's our appeal to customers? Why do customers care about us? What's our appeal to employees? What do employees care about us? How do we measure management? We've got managers with all different ways to interpret the company's vision. How do we really 
hold managers accountable for, for representing the very best of what we want to accomplish. Um, what's our quality of compliance and auditing relationship with regulators? If you get all those things right, that, that plus that plus that equals higher financial performance. And I showed the numbers in this book, what happened when you did that to Bar at Barclays. Example, we had employee engagement of, of only 64%. Now, listen, global high-performing norm was 86%. And Barclays was at 64%. We had a big scandal, got exposed on national TV um, about mis-selling and all sorts of issues. So we had to do something. My team was 30,000 people. 30,000 people answered the employee engagement surveys were only 64%. Only I'd never seen lower engagement scores. We launched a transformation program that put profitability to the side and let's use the inputs being those other drivers, as I mentioned, customers, employees, management metrics, and quality. We looked at how to bring all those up. We moved employee engagement, not from 64%, from not just to 86% global high performing norm. It actually moved to 92%, Zarina, the top, Impressive. not only of every bank in the world, but the top of any retailer in the world. Now, what did that mean? That means customer complaints. We had engaged people talking to customers, selling to customers in new ways that, that met quality standards. Um, to this day, the UK retail bank from Barclays is the only uh, financial institution in Europe to voluntarily have pulled PPI before the regulators got upset about it. It was a poor mm -hmm. product. We took it, what I call, off the shelf because we were honoring our values. So what happened was, the result was, we far exceeded our financial performance. So that's what a crisis can do. It can force you to change your view. What do leaders today need to do? Change your view. I get financial pressures are high, but they need to look at creating a formula for creating better financial results. And it is happy customers, happy employees, better management who are doing their job and irrelevant, all with quality, meaning that they honor their values. And when you do that, it's almost alchemy you create higher profits, actually higher profits than your budgets would even, would even you dare to dream with your budgets. We exceed our budget every single year once this happened. So mm -hmm. that's a very long answer, but, but it gave me a chance to talk about there is a better way to win. And this is the formula. And now is the time for leaders to do it. If not, don't worry. The next crisis will get it until you're tired of crisis, until you're tired of things happening, whatever's coming down the line, because there's always going to be something. Mm -hmm. Then you'll change one day. And when you change, you're going to see the alchemy of all this coming together in, in ways that right now they're probably afraid to try. Mm -hmm. I remember the first talk that we that you uh, told me about the, the, the whole B um, scandal on the BBC. And you said that the first thing you did was um, have a questionnaire on the feedback by the uh, employees about their leadership. But it was not uh, the regular... Uh, employee feedback questionnaire, but it was something different. I can't remember, but you asked them different questions. And so what is now your, for the first thing you do, your first, the first thing you advise uh, your clients on okay. uh, transformation? What is the first thing they need to do now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, so number one is understand. So you need to get insights. Yeah. Now, start from a principle. And the principle says, if you... Um, or, or what, do, what, what do workers want? There's, there's a belief that workers are quitting now because they don't care about working or there's no loyalty. I don't think that's true. What people want to do is meaningful work. They're just saying, I want to work someplace where it's meaningful. Number two, I want to feel like I'm a valued part. My contribution matters. 
Mm -hmm. So I want to work where, where there's meaningful purpose. I want to um, uh, feel like I'm contributing. My role somehow matters. I don't want to feel unimportant. And finally, I want to be recognized for, for, for this outstanding contribution when it happens. So when you think about that and say, what do people want? First step is to understand what they have today. And what you do need to create a burning platform and, and use the words of your workforce to describe. So why are people quitting? Ask them. Well, what we did was use um, a deck of picture cards. Do you understand the company's vision? Does your boss explain it? You know, the typical kind of engagement questions. We, 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 we said, take these picture cards and, and show us the pictures, the four cards that identify your job. We got some amazing feedback when people say, here are these cards. We'd have them tell the story why they chose that card. Now, what we do is we do plus that to gather some insights, which cards people are choosing. But we're also, we're also able to, um, I, I'm, I'm on the chair of the advisory board for a company called Brands with Values. And Brands with Values has created a culture decoder that measures the values in the organization. So, so think about if you, want, if you want insights for how people feel about the workplace, you want to understand what they think is important. So in seven minutes, we can do surveys for companies of 100,000 people. There's no limit. All 100,000 people can respond digitally to three questions. It's just three questions. Number one is there's 99 words on a word wall. This is my phone. <laughs> and 99 words on a word wall. Touch 10 that are most important to you. Done that. Next screen comes up. 99 words on a word wall. Touch 10 that say, what does the company stand for? What are the company values? Third question comes up. Now, 99 words on the word wall. What are touch 10 that, um, um, that, that show you what the values are that are displayed every day? What values do you see? And then we, the, the team creates a report, 45, 46 pages long that says, here is what we got. Here is by gender, by geography, by level in the company, by any sorting that you want to do. And here's the results all anonymously, but they, they, they do give a, 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 we do give the report diced any way you want that show the gaps. And what you're watching for is an underperforming company has a gap between what people think is important to them and the values that they see displayed every day. They see gaps between what the company says is important to them and the values they see on display every day. Those gaps create um, either a lack of meaning for the employee or an indicator of hypocrisy by the leadership team. So, so then there's plans then to close those gaps. So these insights, Serena, are the first thing to do to say from the, from the voice of the employees, we have a, a situation that creates a burning platform and our transformation will be a journey from this to something else. And that's the very first step. Mm -hmm. Is your group uh, on LinkedIn called Punks and Pinstripes, is it connected to the advisory work that you do? Um, only tangentially. So that's connected to one of the things I do is, is give keynote speeches. And, and, and I'm working with a group of the founders of Punks and Pinstripes. And what, what that group is, is, is slightly different. But what, what they do is to say, we need to help leaders understand that innovation is massively important. Everything I'm talking about is innovating the way we lead. There's also innovating the way that we create products. There's innovating to a digital world. And yet innovation seems to be something that leadership, traditional leadership stifles. Well, Punks and Pinstripes is a group that says every punk in an organization who can innovate 
needs a needs a needs a godfather needs somebody in pinstripes to protect them and allow them to to um, um, innovate and create something. Most organizations today are in survival mode. They're just trying to survive because they're worried about making money for the shareholders. We want to stop that madness and say you'll make more money for the shareholders if you will allow innovation to incur. And to do that, you need a culture of innovation. So that is a group of us that are that are doing some doing um, keynote speeches around how to bring that part to life. So it's slightly different um, what punks and pinstripes are, but but that's what that's what we do. And so for anybody out there um, saying, you know, look at your company, you want to have a leadership meeting, you want to have a a, a group of people come together and understand how can we improve innovations company. That's what we talk about. And and the four of us all have a different experience, a different perspective on on what we bring to those um, conversations with different backgrounds. So that's what Punks and Pinstripes is. Wonderful. So anybody interested can contact you also on the uh, website of the book that is again called The Better Way to Win. Uh, could you please show once again what the book look like, looks like and congratulations again on your Thank launch you. date. <laughs> Thank you very much, Zarina. It's, it's, a, it's an honor to be here with you on the launch date. So this is the book, Better Way to Win, Leading in a Time of Crisis. Um, it's it's uh, on Amazon um, in, in any country, uh, digital and, um, and hardcover. So you can order it there. It's actually anywhere books are sold. So you can buy this at Barnes and Noble or, or whatever your favorite bookstore is, and 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 we'll get this to you. So so that's the book. You can also buy it on my website. Website's thebetterwaytowin.com, and the website describes what I do, and and um, describes not only you can buy the book there, describes the backstory to the book, but also describes my speaking and my coaching, my mentoring. Um, uh, gosh, if if I can help leaders one at a time um, um, address these questions that we've talked about. We will make the lives better for so many workers. Likewise, if I can help leadership teams create a transformation, we can actually we can make workplace a much more better. We can stop the turnover, the great resignation for these companies, and they will realize the financial benefits of paying attention to these other drivers of business performance of the ecosystem that's necessary to succeed. So Mike, all that. Thank you. Yeah. Go. Sorry. Go ahead. That's all. All that's there. Thank you so much. Really, I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, and I perceive it as a special day, <laughs> your special day too, for the release of this book. Hope you come again uh, to grow and learn. And it's really a privilege for me to talk to somebody who genuinely cares about transforming cultures across corporate America and the corporate world. Thank you, Mike. Absolutely. And there will be a day, Zarina, when we work together on, on a transformation in Europe. I know it's coming and, and, and I'd be delighted to work with you um, and, and we could bring this to life and, and um, uh, bring this methodology. You'll see it firsthand and, and, and uh, it will be a pleasure and honor to work with you when that happens. Thank you, Mike.